See, so if you're here, like, for the first time, you're like, oh, this is what happens. This is how these videos go. And then when Aaron's standing there looking like, is it time to start? Anybody ever watch, like, the old Schoolhouse Rock cartoons? Uh, And the one, I'm just a Bill. Yes, I'm only a Bill. Doesn't the last thing on that Father's Day look like that Bill, right? They look like toilet paper, too, but they look like, I'm just a... Okay, whatever. I can't, you all got masks on. I can't tell if you're going to smile or just like, I have no idea what's going on in this room right now. Uh, so welcome uh, to everyone, whether you're in Santa Maria, Lompoc, Rio Grande, Napomo, Vandenberg Air Force Base, uh, Kuwait, uh, New Mexico, Utah, Arizona, Colorado, Alaska, uh, Alaska uh, Texas, uh, Mexico, in Oaxaca, Mexico. Welcome to you and the people in this room. Thanks for coming. We Thank you for you know braving all this. Happy Father's Day, like everybody has said so far. How today is going to work is if you are a dad, there'll be donuts for you after this service is over. If you're watching online between 12.30 and 2 p.m., if you're in the area, you can drive by Element and people will come and bring you donuts. They'll have gloves on and masks. And if you're a dad, you get a donut. If you bring kids with you, they're going to get donut holes. Woohoo! It's like a whole family adventure. I don't know if we did anything for Mother's Day, so the moms are like, what? Moms come too. If we have extra, we might give you a donut hole. <laughs> come in out. It, it'll, it'll be great. Uh, as, as Corey talked about the fireworks booth, it starts, I think, next Sunday, I think is when it starts. Uh, and even if you are someone who doesn't have kids anywhere near the youth group, if you would like to help out, my wife always loved helping out in the fireworks booth because she likes telling people no. Can I get a discount? No. Uh, so if you like to do that, you can come and work in the fireworks booth. It's going to be, I think, a lot of fun. You do have to wear masks in it, so it'll keep all the dust and stuff away. Also, a good thing, I think, fireworks as well, is when you light them, most of them, the fountains only go six feet, so it gives you proper social distancing, so you know how far to keep... Anyway, whatever. Okay, uh, update on what's happening with the county right now. We've had more cases of COVID, so the county has... They haven't uh, pulled back anything they've opened, but they paused this week. So it's going to even be a little bit longer before we have children's again. So we'll keep live streaming every week and opening for service as long as we can, just like this. So uh, we actually you can't even hand out real sermon notes. Uh, but if you would like, you can click on that QR code. It'll take you to the page uh, of our U version. And if you have a smartphone, you can download that thing called U version. And when you're there, you click on more and then events. And then when you put in our zip code, or if you're local, we'll come up by that and you'll get the sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. I think that's all the things I have to start. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're in the room, would you like to stand with me for the reading of God's Word? If you're at home, This is the reading of God's word. Uh, This is Acts 19, verse 23. And it says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who walk in the way, who understand how you are calling us to live out in this world around us as image bearers of who you are, that we would reflect your goodness and your grace to those around us, that you would be made known because you are good, and that you'd be doing some amazing things that we don't even see right now in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of uh, all the riots and things that are taking place, but that you would, in the end, be glorified and further your kingdom through all of it, even though sometimes we cannot see the beginning from the end, but you do. So we trust you through all of it. Amen. Have a seat. Okay, so if your Bible, uh, open up to 
Acts chapter 19. That's where we're going to be today. I'm going to actually finish out Acts 19 and head a little bit into Acts chapter 20. I've got a lot of verses to get through today as we walk through this. Uh, In the last couple weeks, what you've seen is what happens when people start to believe in the gospel. What you're really going to see today is what happens to those who push back against it, who don't want to follow. And you'll see what happens in Paul's life because of that. So this is Acts 19, starting in verse 21, and it starts like this. Now, after these events, now those events would be what happened in the last couple weeks. If you haven't been here, essentially, there's all kinds of crazy things. Uh, Paul shows up in the city called Ephesus, and he meets the these people who are followers of John the Baptizer, they don't really know about Jesus yet, so he tells them about Jesus. They believe, they're baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they speak in tongues. We dealt with that. And then he goes into the local synagogue. He teaches for three months. Nobody listens to him. They push back against him. So he goes into this place called the Hall of Tyrannus, where he teaches for a little over two years. And the things that he says, now he teaches, it reaches all these people in this area. And during this time, some really crazy things are happening. God is doing some miracles by Paul's hands. God is doing the miracles. Some of these are where Paul will have a hanky, and people will take those hankies and put it on their grandma, and grandma all of a sudden gets healed. People will touch his apron, and they're getting healed. There's evil spirits coming out of people. It's all kinds of craziness. Some Jewish exorcists show up, and they say, hey, well, Paul's got this power in the name of Jesus, so I will just say in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And what happens instead is demons jump on these people, demon-possessed people, and beat the snot out of them, and they leave naked and bleeding. It's really kind of funny. One of the top five things I want to see in the scriptures, if I really could, get a replay of it on the, on the DVD or something. But it, these are all the things that it says so simply now after these events. If you missed any of those, go back and listen to the last couple of weeks, and we talk about all that. Now, today's verses that we get to. It moves on from there. So after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And this is what happens right before he leaves Ephesus. And these verses may feel a little familiar to every single one of us because everybody now becomes up in arms about Christianity and it's going to result in this thing called a riot. don't know if you've ever heard about those, but we have those in America right now. Uh, this has happened a few times to Paul, so it should be familiar uh, to him and, and our culture, like I said. People today, they love to riot. And the, the dumbest thing is when your sports team wins or loses an event, it's like, let's set it all on fire. That'll show our team spirit. Don't know how, but apparently people think that. But there are other times where riots takes place, where people feel like their rights are repeatedly violated, and they have all these years to repress frustration and emotion, and it boils out in a rage. And I'm not saying the riot's right, I'm just saying that sometimes that happens as well. The riot that takes place in the text today is out of fear that your God is losing its prominence in the community, and eventually that's going to result in you losing your livelihood because of it. And it results in a mob mentality where some people in the middle of the riot, they don't even know why they're there. They're just in the middle of it. Acts 19 verse 23 says this, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. And we're going to come back and talk about the way at the end. Uh, Verse 24, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together, that's all the craftsmen, with the workmen in similar trades and said, men you know that from this business we have our wealth. 
And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia. So how far is Christianity spreading? All of Asia. If you remember like a few weeks ago, Paul, he wanted to go into Asia. And God stops him and says, no, you're going to go this way. And Paul's like, but I want to go there. God's like, trust me. And now, because of what God is doing in these places, the message is going into Asia, where Paul originally wanted to go in his own plan. And God had his plan of what he is going to do. But in almost all of Asia, and this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. What? Who does he think he is? I carved this thing out of a piece of wood. It's a God. I'm going to fall down and worship it. And Paul says, that's dumb. You shouldn't do that. But it, we all actually do it. We have our iPhones and our TVs and our cars and our lawns and our music collection and our movies collection. And we, and we give ourselves and our money and our time to it, hoping it's going to bless us. And Paul says, they're not real gods. You should stop that. Verse 27, he says, And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, the Temple of Artemis was considered one of the ancient wonders of the world. Uh, Here's a couple pictures. These are a couple ruined pictures. And then I also have an artist's representation of what it actually looked like. So here's ruins. And then here's an artist's representation of what they think it looked like in its heyday. It was massive. It was massive. Actually, here in this place, Ephesus at times was known as the City of Artemis. But what's really going on in the end with these craftspeople is they're not fearing losing worship of Artemis, they're fear of losing their income. So verse 28, when they, that's all these craftsmen, heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is a chant that they would say in part of their worship. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So Artemis, in their minds, she is great in their, in their hearts and minds. Now Artemis is her Greek name. Uh, the Roman name for her is Diana. It was all about fertility, like the, in the Roman pantheon. Uh, she is the protector of of uh, virgins and hunter of small animals. I don't know how it goes together. Uh, When you get the Greek and the Roman pantheons kind of coming together, it's interesting because it's this weird combination. She's supposed to be the protector of virgins, and yet she has a thousand temple prostitutes that would go out into the city that would have sex in order to worship Artemis. It's it's really weird. Uh, She is considered the most powerful god in the area, had been for a long time. Uh, In the distant past, there was a meteorite that fell out of the sky, and people said that is Artemis giving us her image. Obviously not lifelike, right? It just looks like a rock, but, you know, it comes down, and here it is. Actually, the city clerk will say this in verse 35. Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? So her temple, again, it is massive. It is massive. This cult run entirely uh, by female officials is the religious center of this society. Uh, images of Artemis are dominated the city. Archaeologists today have dug up dozens of these images. Uh, this is uh, what one looks like right here. And this is probably something close to what Demetrius and the people sold as a shrine. You can still buy these today if you go there. Though a lot of people don't buy them for religious devotion. They buy them as a, as a tourist souvenir. 
near. But as we've seen, the message of Jesus comes in this place. It becomes a call to people to come out of idolatry. And it starts to have an impact on all of these places that worship these false gods. Last year you saw people brought nearly a million dollars in spell books and incantations and shrines. And they burned them all and started to get rid of them. And not only are they getting rid of these things, they're not replenishing them. They're not buying them any longer. And so Demetrius and his friends start to get alarmed. He gathers all his buddies around him, which during this time would have been hard because they think right about before Paul left Ephesus, it's during a festival to Artemis, where thousands and thousands of people would pour into the city of Ephesus, and it becomes a month-long thing of debauchery, where people would participate in athletic contests, drinking contests, they'd hook up, break up, make up, uh, ritual sex with the prostitutes in the temple of Artemis, and Demetrius' friends begin to chant. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, that worship chant that they would say. Pretty soon, everybody starts saying it because you're in the middle of the festival and everybody's been drinking. It's like, yeah! And so they're just all down yelling this out. And they end up going to this thing called the Acadian Way. And that's a street that went from the harbor all the way up into this 25,000-seat amphitheater. And they get all worked up and they start moving up to the amphitheater. Verse 29. So the city was filled with with the confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who are Paul's companions in travel. So you have 25,000 faces. They see a couple people who look different. It's kind of racial. And they grab them and bring them in. And they keep yelling, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When Paul hears about this, he wants to go help. Because that's Paul. Verse 30. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asia Arcs, and Asia Arcs were the officials who oversaw the games and religious rites during this festival. Some of them didn't want Paul to go in. And even some of the Asia Arcs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Why? Because it's pure chaos, right? It's what a riot is typically like. Verse 32, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Isn't that so true of a lot of things? You you watch some of the interviews today with with some of the protests taking place, and they say, why are you here? And they're like, I don't know. I thought I was going to say free stuff as we broke into these places. Some people actually say that because they don't know why they're there. Sounds like America. 25,000 people. What are you doing? I don't know. Beats going to work. Not during COVID like you have to go to work or anything, but it's like a car wreck on the freeway. Everybody just stops and looks to see what's going on. Verse 33, someone in the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, so it's racial again, for about two hours they cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It goes back to this worship chant. Now, can you imagine chanting anything for two hours? Like, I cannot get you guys to clap through an entire song. Imagine chanting something for two hours. It's like one guy's like, we like Artemis. Yes, we do. We like Artemis. How about you? The other side's like, whoa, we like Artemis. Yes, we do. We like Artemis. And it's back and forth. It's like, dun, dun, dun. Hey. And they're doing the wave across the room. I, I can't imagine anything for two hours. Great are the 49ers of San Francisco. You're welcome, Jeremy. Uh, you know, if you go to a presidential rally, you know, great is the president of the United States. People just don't do that anymore. But this is crazy in the midst of this. It's trying to give you an idea that it's volatile. And if anything happened, like a firecracker went off, you'd have this crowd and they'd probably start beating the snot out of each other and anybody who looked different and would tear Paul and his companions literally limb from limb. It's meant to be a terrifying scene. 
And this is kind of speculation on my part, but I think Paul had been you know, stoned by that mob in Lystra. And he gets up and he walks back into town. He's been thrown in jail and beat up by a mob in Philippi. He begins to sing worship songs while in jail and beat up. He spent a couple years since then looking back at how God has been faithful, about how God has been leading him. And now he sees this thing and he's like, you know what? I just want to go in there and talk about Jesus. 25,000 people, sweet. If they kill me, whatever. But his friends don't let him go. And instead, the city clerk gets a little worried and steps into the situation. Verse 35. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Saying then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Now that's interesting because what it tells you is Paul was not walking around and getting disciples to walk around and say, Artemis is not great. They were preaching what they were for. They were preaching about Jesus. They weren't preaching against Artemis. They were simply talking about what Jesus did for us in the gospel. Verse 38, If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. Not even all the bougie drinking, right? And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. And it's not that the city clerk didn't care about Demetrius and his friends, but their legal ways to do what they were doing. Also, same thing today. Uh, Those legal ways didn't include tearing Paul and his buddies to pieces. In this time, pagans would routinely say, those Jewish people, they're defacing our temples, they're stealing our shrines, they're stealing all of these things, they're always robbing our temples. But it's interesting that nobody here in this place is accusing Paul or his companions of doing any of that. If the cities were caught rioting in in Rome, one of the first things that Rome would do in the city is they would impose sanctions and taxes and hit you in the pocketbook because people love money and they don't want anybody, the government to take any more in taxes, so they they stop rioting. That's what the city clerk kind of says. If you keep doing this, there's going to be sanctions and we're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. So don't be too hasty. Acts 20, verse 1. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. So that's Acts 19 to chapter 20, verse 1, is all that happens in the city of Ephesus. Verse 2 of chapter 20. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plan was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. So Peter the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where he stayed for seven days. And with those words, Luke kind of draws together Paul's last three and a half years of ministry or so, bringing it all together. He's going to move you to a place now where Paul is going to end up in Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested, and will spend much of the rest of the book in jail. But today, what I want to talk to you about in rounding out chapter 19 is many times if we're like Paul and we find ourselves in a place because of the gospel invested in Jesus, our lives become radically changed. And so we have to ask ourselves when we look at the larger culture around us, are our lives distinguishable from our decaying culture? 
This is why I want to talk about something the text mentions three times in chapter 19 that I haven't talked about yet. And that is this idea of the way. The way. This is what people inside the church and outside the church were calling Christianity. And I want you to see that it was the way of the way that changed everything and how it went up into Asia and all these things were happening. The way is what Christians called themselves before the title Christian caught on everywhere. Now, the first place Paul would typically go in these places would go into the synagogue and he would talk to the Jews in these places. And what is interesting is the Jewish people believe that at a specific moment in history, God. God spoke directly to them and their ancestors. God showed up and he spoke about creation in a way that was understandable. He gives a copy of what this is and Moses writes this down and this is what becomes what's called the Torah. The Torah, these words from God. They believe that the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, were those words of life. The word Torah can mean teachings or instructions or more simply, Torah can mean the way, the way. The Torah is so central, they believe if you lost it, then you would lose everything because it was the way, the way to live, the way to walk, the way to do life, the way to know God, to understand what God is actually doing in the world. And now Christians start to call themselves and their faith in the person of Jesus, the way. And most of the first Christians were earliest believers were Jewish. So it had huge connotations that they would call themselves not Christians, not just followers of Jesus, but followers of the way. In the city of, the, of Ephesus, they're no longer buying their artifacts, not going to the temples. They're no longer supporting this old way of life because they have a new way of life. And how is it that followers of this way in just a couple years could have so changed this city that it causes uproar where people are shouting for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, like it's the death throes of this God that is dying. We know it wasn't by them being disrespectful to Artemis. The city clerk says they are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. People were, pl- were beginning to follow this way, and what that ends up doing is threatening the economic, political, and social landscape of the city. And sometimes when we talk to people about the gospel and the scriptures and what God does, you ask people the question, do you think that the scriptures and the gospel has the power to change culture? Do we believe that it does? And some people say, well, yes. And other people say, well, not completely. We need something else. And we're always trying to add something onto it. This is the power of God's spirit and the gospel that goes in and changes everything about this culture. The the scriptures, the the gospel, the power of God has the power to do it. We simply need to trust him and live as he calls us to live in the way. In the city of Ephesus, there isn't this division like we have in America between politics and worship. It all just kind of went together. There wasn't a place where you went to temple and then outside of that where you lived your life. The way of life in the city of Ephesus was Artemis. And now the way of life is becoming something entirely different. And that a small group of people, you know, a couple of years ago when Paul comes in and that could threaten this way of life, it should have seemed laughable and unthinkable. And it is very surprising. But that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of God's Holy Spirit when he begins to move. And so what is it about this way that's so compelling that it changed everything in Ephesus? Well, the word for the way is this word called hodos. I know it sounds like hodor, but hodos. And it translates to the way. And behind it is an idea of a road, uh, when you have to walk to go somewhere. It didn't have cars at that time, so everywhere you walk, so anytime you went somewhere, it's a journey. You got a journey to get somewhere, and it's this idea of a lifestyle. 
And so when they said the way, it wasn't a way to somewhere else, like heaven. It's a way to live your life. It's a way to walk in life. Like when Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he means. It's not a way out of here while the world and unrepentant sinners burn. Ha, ha, ha. That's not what that means. It's I am the way to new life. I am the way. This is the way we walk. This is how we put one foot in front of the other. It goes all the way back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when God says, go to the land I'm going to show you. He uses this word called yalak, and it means Abraham doesn't know where he's going, but he's going to trust God in faith and trust as he moves and goes with him. It's a journey, and that's what Christianity is. Christianity isn't a prayer and one and done. It's, it's this idea of we've started the journey and the whole thing of Christianity for all eternity is a journey with God. It's not a destination. We walk every day with Him. This is how they would think about faith and trusting God. When we talk about discipleship today, too often we think it's learning a whole bunch of things. And we should learn some things. But really, discipleship is living and walking in the way with one another. That's why gospel communities want to come alongside one another and help us to walk in the way with each other because that's real discipleship. And if you ask someone at this time, what is faith? You wouldn't get this American answer where it's like, muster up enough belief in something so you can believe something that maybe not be true, but you got to hold on to it. Or here's the five things we hold true. They would describe faith as a way of life. It is how we live. And so what is it about that lifestyle that's so compelling that after a couple of years, everyone knows about it, everyone has heard about it, and Demetrius is threatened? Did Paul show up and say, we got two to three years, we're going to make some signs, we're going to protest in front of Artemis' temple and say, Artemis is not great, here's all the arguments of how to refute all of Artemis' followers? You know, no, no, they show up and they live a certain way all together, all together. So what is that way? Well, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Because the, the book of Ephesians is written after this, and Paul is reminding them of the things that they talked and spoke about and what the Spirit did. And we looked at different things throughout Acts 19 from the book of Ephesians' perspective. But this is the way of the way from the book of Ephesians and its perspective. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, starts like this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, that's Paul, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. What's the way of the way? It is humility, it is gentleness, it is patience, it is bearing with one another in love, maintaining the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How are we a people who stay unified? We worship Jesus. We understand the gospel. That's how we become unified. And all these little differences we have, we want to argue about politics or this or that, they're out here, they're periphery. And the center is the worship of Jesus, and that brings unity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, will each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. What else does the way of the way do? Speaks the truth. You know, Jesus speaks the truth, speaks the truth. How many of us have a problem speaking the truth? We all do, okay? We all do. I've seen your Facebook posts. We, We all have a problem with it. It's not abstract. It is easy when we have conversations with other people to always try and shape the narrative to make us look better. We all have a problem with this. And yet, when we live the way of the way, we put aside falsehood and we start to speak truth. Ephesians 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
It's not that you can't be angry. It's that your anger is directed in the right ways. When anger comes, it's meant to drive you to do the right thing. Like, like a kid who runs out on the street. Uh, Sean Jones uh, has this daughter named Tess. If you ever met Tess, she's like, ah! she, sometimes she doesn't listen too well and she gets very excited about certain things. And I can imagine Tess losing a ball on the street and being like, I'm going to get that ball. Now, if she starts running into the street, Sean Jones is not going to be, now, now Tess, why do you think about your alternative options of running in the street? No, he's like, Tess, stop! No, listen to me now! And the anger comes up, but it pushes you to do something right. And the anger and the fuse, that's, it, it's slow, it's slow. It's deal with your anger when you can in the right ways. Because there are some things in our society today that we should be angry about, but we deal with it in the right ways. Ephesians 4, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. There's more concrete advice how to live. If you steal, stop. And what do you do? Work. Work in the Bible is not a negative. It's given to Adam before the fall. It's a positive. You work so you can help those around you in need. What's the way of the way? It is, it is truthfulness, it is humbleness, it is honesty, it is gentleness, it is patience. Verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Imagine with me, just imagine, if we didn't speak evil against one another, and everything we said was to build each other up. What would that do for race relations? What would that do for the political state in America today or even in the world? We build others up according to their need. We are invited into a way of life that encompasses how we speak and how we react to one another. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's a good list. That's a good list. When, when we are people who want to slander others, we go to people who agree with us, not people who are going to straighten us up. Because you've got two kinds of friends. We all do. We're like, one you call when you want to just vent, and one you call when you feel like you're sinning, you want them to straighten you up. Like, if your husband ticks you off, you call your friend who's going to be like, oh yeah, I know how you feel. Let me tell you about my husband. Ah! You know, and you got guys, you know, if your wife does something mean, you call your friend who's like, oh yeah, my wife's mean too. I don't even think she's human. I can't find her in the evolutionary chart. She's like, oh, and your friend, you know, scream, and weekends want to scream and yell and, and chuck things. Oh, really? Well, I do that every Friday night. It's like exercise. You know, I totally understand. Pray for me. Praise the Lord. You know, it's every form of malice. It's we have these things that we set aside, but how do we set them aside? By a people who understand we're unified by the gospel, by God's spirit working in and through us, where we live in humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. The flip side of that, verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. What is the invitation to these people over this three years? That through the strength of Jesus, by how faith and trust in Him and what He did on the cross and the resurrection, we can have the results in our lives that lead us to be kind and compassionate, where we get rid of rage and bitterness and racism. We can live in this new way of compassion. How does that happen? It's by our focus upon what God has done for us. This message and this way of life became compelling enough that it threatened the social fabric of this city. 
in the book of Ephesians, when Paul says this, he's not saying try really hard to do these things or follow God's example, which is a good thing. We should follow God's example. But his argument goes back to where Acts 19 starts with this, the Holy Spirit. In verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That word for seal, it means put together and sealed for freshness, for freshness, so that we are preserved for God and his freshness. All of this way of living comes as a result of what God has already done in us. It says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's past tense. That's what God has already done. Ephesians 5, 1, then Paul goes on, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Again, all past tense. All past tense. Christ has already loved us. He has already given himself for us. We are then invited to live in a way of life that we also become fragrant to God. It's all a response to what God has already done. This is the invitation to the people in the city of Ephesus. And it's also the same invitation that is given to us today. That we can walk in love with God just like those people. We get to walk with God and be his children by the leading of God's spirit. All throughout the book of Ephesians are all these words about walking and trusting and understanding God's goodness for us. And it's all meant to result in a different way of life. Now, will we mess up? Of course we will. I'm not even going to wait for an answer on that, right? We, we all will mess up. Sometimes we will get out of control, just like Demetrius. And when it happens, so often we want to blame it on external factors. It's not me. It's like I'm Scottish or I'm Latino or I'm Italian or Greeks are passionate or my family is crazy. The question, guys, is not where do you come from. The question becomes, is this who we are called to be? Is this who we are called to be? This is why Paul reminds us, forgiving each other just as Christ and God forgave you. Our way as believers is to live with humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. And our conduct is not meant to be contingent on other people and what they do. Our conduct is meant to be contingent upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and what God has done for us. We have been offered grace and kindness and forgiveness. That means we extend that to others as well. If, if I look throughout all of the scriptures, there's only one person I think who has a right to be bitter, and that is Jesus. And he's not. And he's not. I mean, God creates us. And God tells us, enjoy it. Enjoy relationship with me, but just don't sin. And what do we do? We sin. Still, every day we sin against God. We walk, we wander, we run from God, but God seeks us out. God becomes a man in the person of Jesus to get close to us. He is tempted in every way we are, yet is without sin. And he's hated and he's mocked and he's spat upon and heard terrible things about his mom and his dad, and then we kill him. And on the cross, what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. He goes to the tomb. He rises from the dead. Not only does he want forgiveness for us, but by that death and resurrection, he makes forgiveness possible by taking away our sin. And I think it would be really good for us today, especially in the climate that we are, for us to ask God not just to show us the social fabric of the world around us, but to show us the social fabric of our very own hearts. Are we those who are so in love with Christ that we want to live the way of the way? Because I think people who begin to live the way of the way as a result of the gospel, we too will change our city and our state and our country and our world because it sorely needs it. It it is like, you know, Paul goes into the city with these people and they're doing all these crazy things and and it's not just like, oh, what am I going to do? He just starts speaking about the gospel, about what God has done in his life. 
saying this is who he is and why we follow and, and what we do, and people start listening and believing, it starts to change the social fabric, and that can still happen. But it's not because of how great our arguments are. It's not because of how smart we think we are. It's because of what the gospel does and what it brings when we fully understand it, which means we need to be a people who fully understand the gospel as well. And this is one of the reasons every wicked element, we bring you to a place where we talk about communion, where you will take a cracker and you will break it or you'll, and you'll dip it in wine or grape juice and it reminds of Jesus' broken body and his blood that was shed for you and me. If you're at home, you can do that with bread and juice. If you're here, they're sealed containers. Uh, it's, I, I don't know what, what you call that. There, there's not any COVID germs in it. I can't, but you can, you can take communion in that because it's a reminder of what Christ did in the gospel that our salvation is done by himself, not by us. And that should change our focus to be a people who begin to live the way of the way as a result of the gospel. It doesn't make God love us. It's a response to us understanding God's great love for us. If you would like to, I invite you to take communion. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Uh, If you need prayer, uh, I would invite you to talk to one of us. Apparently last week I said, why don't you grab one of the guys in the band or me. And I I don't mean actually grab somebody because, one, you're not allowed to because it's six feet. And two, that would be creepy if you did grab people, so don't. Uh, but if you need prayer, uh, talk to one of us. If you're online right now and you're looking at the YouTube stream and you need a prayer request, put it on the side. You can send an email to connectedourelement.org if you'd like to as well, and we will make sure that we, we pray for you. Uh, because we are a people who very often do forget you know, the, the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ and His grace that is given to us. And we must always come back. That's why at Element, every week we want to bring you back to the place of the gospel the remembrance of what God has done to rescue and save us. We must be those people if we're going to ever live in the way of the way. Uh, There are offering boxes next to every door. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is part of our worship here online. You can also give online at at the website. Again, it's simply a response to what God has done. And I would encourage you today, you know, with whatever friends or family you have, to maybe start talking through some of those things. You know, what is the way of the way? How has God changed us? How has God changed you? What are the times that you resist that way of the way and you don't even want to think about it? You don't want to deal with it. What are the ways when you understand the gospel better it actually changes your life to live differently? Because again, it's not about making God love us. It's about understanding God's great love that has already been given to us. And our lives begin to be lived as a result of that. All those things are the way of the way. And it can change the world because it changed us. And so we live that out in honesty and truth and the realization that God is good and we are so thankful that He is sovereign and we are not and we trust Him for everything that comes our way. Let's be a people who begin to live day by day the way of the way. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would teach us what it means to live the way of the way, to understand the great grace that we have received and then offer that to those around us that we wouldn't feel like we need to be a people who chant for two hours, you know, great is whatever. But in our hearts and our lives, we would know that you are the great one who has rescued and saved us. And that as you continually bring us grace into our lives, I ask that your spirit would take and reset our minds and our hearts to see you as you are. That we would understand how great this salvation is that we have received. A salvation we have not worked for. A salvation that has been freely given to us because of your love for us. 
I ask that the strength and the power of your spirit that so powerfully kept reminding these people of who you are and what you did in their lives that transformed them to be given to live a totally different way would do the same thing in us as well. That we would walk by the power of the Spirit, trusting you in all things. And that because we then become your ambassadors to this world, your children, your hands and feet, we would make a difference. We would, you make a difference through us. And all the glory would go to you. And the world would begin to understand what true joy is. Because our lives are found in you. Bring us to the place where we understand the great goodness of the good news of that gospel rescue of who we are. And have it so changes that you are glorified. And as I said, joy comes to the world because you are glorified. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.